the rotating menu at the tavern, greenhouse gardens, barn, and more. TheArnoldHouse.com Welcome to the local edition news and information keeping you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dolt. Coming up on the program, there's increased fire risk around the holidays and in the wintertime in general. Chief Brian Soller will be joining us to talk about fire safety tips at this time of year. And of course, we have this winter storm that is, we're, we're now in it. It's here. So we'll take a look at the weather as well. But first, it's what we do on a Thursday evening to kick off the show. We check in with Wayne County. And today, I have to tell you about Zachary Jones, who was the nutri nutrient management specialist for the Wayne Conservation District, doing that job for nearly seven years, but no more, because in November, the district approved a change of title for Jones. He's now the Sustainable Agricultural Specialist, a change that better reflects his work within the agricultural community and the service he provides for producers in the industry. Zachary Jones is a fifth-generation farmer in Wayne County, and he is on the phone with us now. Hello, Zachary. Welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you for having me. You, you've been with the Conservation District for, for nearly seven years now, um, and we just talked about how your role has changed. Can you talk about the nature of that change, like what you were doing and what you're going to be doing now? Right, yeah. So what I did focus on previously was um, kind of like the arm and leg of the State Conservation Commission's uh, Act 38 program, which was uh, nutrient management, which was regulation on... Um, nutrients entering the waterway or sediment uh, preventing all of that. So instead of a regulatory approach um, where we used to look for voluntary con um, compliance through different measures, now we're going to focus on just educating um, producers about agriculture, best management practices through that, um, still help people, you know, if they need help with voluntary compliance through different um programs, but mostly uh, just dropping that regulatory um, burden. You're talking about things that uh, essentially byproducts of the agricultural process getting into the environment. Yeah, yeah. So manure, basically. So nitrogen, potassium, um, phosphorus, um, the three main uh, nutrients that uh, all plants need to grow, but um, in different various amounts can be harmful to the environment, uh, such as you know nitrogen getting into water having high nitrate levels or phosphorus running off into uh, surface waters and creating algal blooms that uh, create dead zones in different lakes and um, bays. Talk about what, what agriculture is going on in Wayne County right now. What does farming look like in Wayne County? So farming looks a lot different than it did about 40 or even 20 years ago. Uh, traditionally, Wayne County was uh, dairy farms. And if you didn't milk cows, you really weren't a farmer. Um, and as the dairy industry's volatile nature um, transitioned from family farms to larger and larger farms, uh, the environment in which uh, Wayne County agriculture just couldn't uh, keep pace with that. So a lot of people sold the cows, sold all their milk and equipment, and now most, most people are running uh, beef cows, and some people are venturing into vegetables. 
Uh, it, it says here that you're you're a fifth generation farmer from Wayne County. So what what about your own family's farm experience? I guess I guess let let's start out talking about like what's the farm that you grew up in, and how was that any different from the the farm that your your father's grandfather grew up in? Yeah, that's a that's a good point. So I actually didn't grow up on the farm when I was a kid. I grew up in a trailer, and then uh, we moved to an old farmhouse that wasn't on our farm. And I always dreamed about farming. And when I was about 12 years old, my great-grandfather passed away. And my uncle and my mom bought the family farm, as long as well as with my aunt. Um, mom and dad got the farmhouse. My uncle got the farm with my other aunt. And since about 2004, I've been living the dream ever since. Uh, I get to wake up on the farm every day. And uh, traditionally, it was a dairy farm. My great-grandfather was a, a dairyman. And... Uh, he sold cows back in the 80s. I think he kind of saw some of the writing on the wall and wanted to retire while it was going well. And my uncle bought the farm and started raising beef cattle. And when I came back from college, I uh, decided I wanted to be more involved in the farm. So I uh, started to help out a lot more. And then when COVID hit, we decided we were going to venture into growing vegetables. And right now we have... One high tunnel, one greenhouse, we're building another high tunnel, and we do probably about uh, four to five acres of mixed vegetables. I think that's an amazing story that you're able to, you know, get get the family farm and actually get farming yourself when you weren't actually uh, totally raised in, in that kind of an environment. Why do that? What motivates you to, to really get into farming? Well, uh, I guess it was romanticized to me when I was a young kid. I watched my great-grandfather and his legacy that he, he created, which is the farm. Um, actually, his father created my great-great-grandfather. And to be a part of uh, something that was important to him and to his father and to their kids, uh, to me, felt really cool. And to be to continue that legacy on to my son and uh, to be able to make this a, a profitable thing, um, I think a lot of times when we think about farming, everybody always has an idea that you never make any money in it. And I had a goal set out uh, when I started that I was going to be a, a millionaire. So <laughs> I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm working on it. And, uh, you know, it's all it's just a business just like any other business. You, you have your cost of goods sold and you have your income and you just try to find a line in between it. Well, I, I wish you the best and all that. And it sounds like like you've got a plan and you've got energy for it, and you're and you're doing the work too to work with uh, other farmers because nobody's alone when it comes to agriculture. Nobody stands alone. You gotta you gotta know your neighbors. You gotta uh, be interacting. Is there is there anything? Uh, well, I, is there anything that you need the public to know about the job that that you do? Is there any message that you need to get out about that? Well, I would just say you know if you, if if you've ever wanted to farm if you do farm or if you dreamt about farming ever at one point in your life uh, feel free to give us a call um it doesn't matter what the question is about we're here to help you no matter what um we get some calls and if i don't know the answer i will find somebody that knows the answer we will get to to whatever it is that you need help with whether that be uh business advice or or simple trainings i can point you in the right direction um looking to start farming or to get out of farming and looking for someone to get into it um we're, we're here to do whatever it is that we can do to help facilitate the continuation of agriculture in Wayne county what's the best way for people to get a hold of you if they are interested i uh, call the office it is 
1-800-926-0930, or you check out our website, and I believe my email address is on there as well. Okay, great. Again, that's 570-253-0930. We've been talking to Zachary Jones, fifth-generation farmer in Wayne County and the newly christened Sustainable Agriculture Specialist. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, and I wish you happy holidays. Yes, thank you very much. Same to you. Right now on the local edition, let's take a quick look on where we are with the storm uh, affecting most of our listening area. Most of New York State, that's why earlier this afternoon, Governor Kathy Hochul addressed the state, held a press conference, talked about a number of topics, but uh, right off the bat addressed the storm. Here's some of what she had to say. Different areas of the state will be affected, as you can see. Uh, 12 inches in central New York, 18 inches of snow, perhaps up in the snow country. They're welcoming it. They want it there. But, you know, it's going to hit during the commuting area, and that's going to be tough. Uh, our, peak, our peak is going to be about 1 to 2 inches per hour Thursday night through Friday, wintry mix, but it's going to be, again, a statewide effect. What's concerning are the winds. When you have the wind event coupled with this, whether it's the rain downstate or snow upstate, that's when you have the vulnerable situation where power lines can come down. And when it's this bitter cold, the scariest thing for a mom with little kids, as happened to me, is to be sitting there with no heat in your house in the middle of winter. So, so we're watching for, the, for that. We've, uh, again, have utility crews all set already on the ground, ready to respond as quickly as possible. So we have all the plows Tow trucks, loaders, snowblowers, we got plenty of gas, plenty of fuel, we got plenty of salt. Uh, we are ready to respond uh, up to 6,500 utility workers, which really are uh, become frontline workers when you're desperately trying to get the heat back on the house. So, so we'll be ready for this. New York is ready, as we always are, but uh, we're ready. You know, bring it on. Uh, Mother Nature, just keep at it. New York Governor Kathy Hochul addressing the state in the 1 o'clock hour earlier this afternoon. Just an update on that. Mother Nature has brought it. Mother Nature is bringing it right now. It is snowing in our listening area and how winter storm warning in effect until 7 p.m. tomorrow evening for Sullivan, Pike and Wayne counties. Heavy snow expected with totals of 6 to 14 inches possible. More and higher elevations in Delaware County. The winter weather warning goes until 1 a.m. Saturday with 9 to 15 inches possible there may be additional ice across our region, as well as strong gusty winds, as the governor just mentioned there. So combined with the heavy wet snow, all of that may bring down branches. They may cause power outages. Going to take a quick break. When we come back, many more conversations. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. To get the news right, you need solid facts and sound perspectives. And you also need support. It takes all of us. Give to this NPR station right now. Radio Catskill was here for you through it all this year. We'll continue our dedication to a more informed community, but we can't do it without your support. Make your tax-deductible year-end donation now at WJFFRadio.org before December 31st. Your support today leads to greater impact tomorrow. Hey, John Gordon here to ask the question, where would we be without music? I love music. 
and I play a lot of it right here on WJFF every Thursday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. Please tune in. That's Ramble Tamble, Thursdays 7 to 9 p.m. on WJFF. Welcome back to the local edition news and information, keeping you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. According to the National Fire Protection Association, they say Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and New Year's Day are the three days of the year when most fires occur. Here to tell us now how we can stay safe, it's Chief Brian Soller from the Professional Brotherhood Podcast, which, by the way, you can find at WJFFRadio.org. Hello, Chief Soller. Welcome back to the program. Hey, thank you for having me today. Appreciate it. So what are some things folks should keep in mind uh, in terms of fire safety as we uh, approach the holidays here? Well, I, I, there's, there's, there's a few things that, that we can definitely talk about. Uh, some of them maybe are a bit more obvious than others, but we should probably hit on them anyway. Um, you know, those, uh, those folks that have, um, you know, live Christmas trees in their house, making sure that they're, you know, they're consistently watered and they don't dry out and, that you're turning the lights off on those trees, you know, at night when you go to bed and when you leave your house during the day, because, um, you know, a dry tree uh, is a common, uh, a common cause of, of starting a fire during the, during the holiday season. Um, kind of along with that, the use of um, outlet extensions and strips. So plugging all those Christmas lights into one of those, uh, um, whether it's an, a, a strip outlet type um uh, thing or you know one of those multi plugs that you can just plug in the wall, um, overloading the circuit, hence potentially uh, starting a fire is is a common cause of of fires uh, this time of year. You know, especially now, also not just the holidays, but coming into the cold season, uh, fuel oil and propane being as expensive as it is, people are plugging in those uh, portable electric heaters. And uh, you really need to uh, read the specs on those heaters before you plug them in. A lot of them um, recommend right in the directions that you only plug them in directly to an outlet and don't plug them into any type of splitter or outlet strip. Yeah, or extension cord. Those things pull a lot of juice to be able to generate the heat they do. And not all extension cords are created equal. A lot of them are cheap, and they can't handle that much of a load. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you, if you go out and, you know, buy one of those infrared heaters or electric uh, space heaters at Home Depot, you know, make sure you read the actual uh, instructions before you plug it into the wall. And, and yeah, like you said, don't plug it into an extension cord that's been laying around the house for the last 20 years. Uh, don't plug it into that outlet strip. Um, you know, make sure you're, you're doing the right thing because they, they can absolutely short out and, and they can be, they can be cause of a fire. Um, you know, kind of staying along those lines, if you're burning firewood, uh, whether it's in a fireplace or a wood stove, you know, make sure that you're, you're getting your chimney expect, uh, inspected once a year and you're getting that chimney cleaned out uh, uh, to prevent the uh, uh, creosote buildup and a potential chimney fire. Um, you know, there's just lots of little things like that that, we, you know, that we need to uh, keep up on. Uh, especially now when people are trying to save money and do things uh, maybe a little bit differently than they have in the past. Yeah, you can't just literally you can't go in cold on something like uh, a wood stove or a fireplace that you may not have used for years. You got to make sure it's Correct. ready to go. Uh, I, you know, that's why we're talking today, because I, I was thinking I, I was thinking of you I was thinking of fire safety, because I felt like almost as soon as it as the weather gets cold, 
I noticed some fire sirens going off where, where I am in Liberty and White Sulphur and places like that. Sure. That's, that's what I worry about is it, when, when things get colder, does, does the risk of fire increase generally? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, for, for all the reasons that we just uh, spoke about, um, candles, you know, as well, uh, you know, not that that's going to really generate heat, uh, but, you know, this time of year, uh, kind of keeping up with tradition, whether it, you know, be the, the, the Hanukkah holiday or, or whatever, uh, people like to, you know, light candles and, you know, they look nice. And again, that's something that should never be left. You know, even if you're, you know, leaving the room to go upstairs for, you know, a, an hour to clean your bedroom or something, don't leave a candle lit downstairs. Um, you know, these are just all the types of things that we really need to watch out for. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we, we are um, definitely putting ourselves at more risk this time of year because we're using a lot of heat generating appliances. And, you know, again, people decorating and doing different things, they're, Plugging more outlet, plugging more uh, things into their circuits that uh, don't run for the rest of the year. I want to talk uh, quick about your podcast, the Professional Brotherhood Podcast, and again, that's at wjffradio.org. And it's about volunteer firefighting. It's also about recruitment. Every time we have you on, I want to talk about the need the local fire departments have for volunteers. So let's talk about your podcast and what you've been doing the last couple episodes, and also talk about that need for volunteers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we, we've had a couple of really great episodes um, over the last uh, few weeks. We, we just recently brought on a, a woman to discuss um, uh, firefighter cancers and uh, firefighter personal decon. Um, uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, new information coming out about the increased risk to firefighters and certain types of cancers. Um, and originally we thought that, you know, that, that risk was only from, um, being in structure fires and wearing dirty turnout gear and things like that. But as more information becomes available, we're learning that not only are we at risk from the toxins and the things that are in the air at these fires, but we're also at risk, um, because of some of the chemicals that are actually used to manufacture our turnout gear. Uh, so that was a really good informational episode. Uh, we always, we're always hitting on, uh, recruitment and retention and, and different ideas and different ways to bring new members into the volunteer service because, uh, a, a large, large part of the country, like here in Sullivan County, is mostly volunteer. I mean, here in Sullivan County, we're pretty much, we're 99% volunteer except for Monticello, which is a combination department. Um, and, you know, your community safety, uh, depends on, uh, the people that are willing to volunteer and do the job. And has anything improved in, in the past year in terms of uh, volunteer response? Has the need gotten, it's always, there's always a need. Is there a greater need now or are you, are you starting to get people? Where, where, where are we at? Do you think? I, I, you know, it's, it's community by community differs. Um, I think there are, there are communities that are doing very, very well. Um, with uh, retaining the volunteers that they have and gaining new volunteers. Uh, some of the departments have implemented uh, some of the ideas that we, we talk about on the podcast and in our seminar uh, and have had great success uh, doing that, um, as, as w also with the, uh, the Joint Sullivan Fire Campaign has been instrumental in that as well. Um, you know, some communities struggle a little bit more, but that's, you know, that's also because 
they're smaller communities, they're bedroom communities. Um, you know, a lot of people don't uh, live, work, live and work in their hometown anymore. They got to travel to other places. So that makes it a little bit more difficult to, to get volunteers. Um, but, you know, I think the need will always be there. But uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful and, and uh, I, I feel positive about the direction that we're going in. Okay, before we go, is there anything else that you want to let folks know while we have you? Yeah, you know, I just I want to throw one more thing out there on the on the safety, uh, the the holiday safety. Uh, you know, don't forget uh, if if you're using if you're making that Christmas turkey in one of those you know fabulous turkey fryers, make sure that thing is outside on your back porch in your driveway somewhere. Please don't use it in your in your kitchen or in your garage because that's that's a big one that yeah. causes these fires every, every year. And if, you, if you're going to do that deep frying, you can keep it outdoors, away from structures, and make, their, make sure that thing is thawed. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and, uh, you know, last but not least, the, you know, the obvious, make sure you've got uh, fresh batteries in those smoke detectors. Absolutely. Uh, because uh, that, that warning can be the difference between your, your loved ones getting out in time or not. So uh, that's always a good thing to check. All right. Well, Chief Brian Soller, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, I wish you a happy and safe holiday season. Same to you. Thanks again for having me. Chief Brian Soller uh, hosts the Professional Brotherhood podcast, which, again, you can find right at WJFFradio.org, our website. From the host of one of the podcasts that you can get at WJFFradio.org. Before we go, let's go to another celebrity chef and host of Cooking in the Catskills which you can find at WJFFradio.org. Brett August will be cooking it up during the North Branch in pop-up Italian holiday dinner this weekend, December 16th and 17th. Radio Catskills' Patricio Robbio spoke to Brett earlier on what folks can expect when they come to North Branch Inn this weekend. This holiday dinner is going to be a kick-ass. We're going to have some great Italian food, seven courses, all high-end ingredients that I sell to chefs all throughout Sullivan County. So far, we got a bunch of reservations, and everybody's really looking forward to it. Let's just make sure I have this correct. Is it you doing the cooking, or do you have a couple of chefs coming in for this pop-up? Nope. I'm going to strap on my chef jacket. I, as you know, I was a chef many years ago. Maybe. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to um, use all the ingredients from Ace Endico, the company that I currently sell food to, you know, to the chefs in the city and upstate. I'm going to get all the ingredients, pack it up in the car. We're going to bring it up to the North Branch Inn, and we're going to do some great cooking. I have another guy that I play basketball with locally that's going to give me a hand plating up. But besides that, yeah, I'm going to do all the cooking. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. Can you give us a preview of what kind of dishes folks can expect? Yeah, plus it's on Instagram. They can check out the full menu. We're going to do, um, first course is going to be a really cool antipasto of some meats and cheeses, olives, pepper, stuff like that. Then we're going to do a calamari with a lemon aioli, a mushroom risotto. That's going to be really good. We're going to do Mama's Meatball with ricotta, grated uh, Parmesan. That's going to be delicious. Then we're going to do Wagyu Strip with some shrimp, some parsnip puree, olive cake for dessert. It's going to be really, really good. This little group is hosting it. Um, we're going to be at the North Branch Inn. It's going to be kick-ass. Yeah, this is happening on December 16th and 17th at North Branch Inn. Italian Holiday Dinner by Chef Brett August. For more information, cooking in the Catskills Instagram or the North Branch Inn's Instagram page to see the full menu. We were talking to Chef Brett August, who's also the host, Cooking in the Catskills podcast. It can be found on WJFFradio.org. 
Brett, thank you so much for joining us and good luck this weekend. Happy holidays, Patricio. Thank you. For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricio Rabayo. Well, we've had a number of great conversations in this program. The program's not done yet, so why don't we have one more? Belle Pepper is a Milford, PA-based drag queen who's hosting the holiday-themed Jingle Bell Ball at the Cooperage Project in Honesdale this Saturday night, December 17th, 7 p.m. Radio Catskill's Tim Bruno caught up with Belle Pepper, whose real name is John Hellman, to talk about the event and how his drag persona, Bell Pepper, came to be. Bell Pepper was, um, it took a while for her to grow and sprout, but I think I was living in New York City at the time, and a lot of just gay men who go to Halloween or march in the Pride Parade always have to face the question, do I do drag today or not? And I would do drag off and on, and um, it didn't really speak to me as an art form until like five years ago when I just really felt inspired by all the different elements of it. And that leads us to five years later, I've been doing drag for that long and it's, I'm having a blast. It's, I get to be stupid and silly. I get to put a lot of different kinds of music together. I like to make people laugh and just give people a space to not take things so seriously and have a good time for a little bit. As Bell Pepper, you, you're based in Milford, Pennsylvania, and you've been doing it, as you said, for the better part of a decade. Uh, you've seen drag have its moment. It's kind of exploding now. I think RuPaul's Drag Race is in its 15th season. What have you seen in terms of changes in the drag world? Well, I mean, I think especially because Drag Race is not only 15 seasons in the United States, it's everywhere globally. I think there's a lot more folks who have the opportunity to think about like, should I should I do drag if it's something that's interesting to them? Like, you can just go online and buy the undergarments, do the makeup tutorials, buy wigs. Like, you can do everything so easily. So a lot of the gatekeeping is gone. Um, so it's just, it's really cool to see a lot of different kinds of people who I think 20, 30 years ago wouldn't have had the chance to even consider the art form. It's just fun to see all these different kinds of people interpret drag through their own specific lens is it different performing in in smaller towns and how does it feel yeah i mean i most of my uh, performing experience has been out here in like the poconos region and i love it like there's a lot of folks here who um some have been to drag shows in like new york city um or some of the other bigger cities where they they have gay clubs and uh, gay neighborhoods and all of these sort of things that you couldn't expect from a big city. Um, but for the most part, it's a lot of folks who maybe have seen drag on TV or have no idea what it is. So it's really, it's, it's been a really fun and funny adventure just to introduce people um, through my style, which is very irreverent. It's very political, but it's also a lot of fun. Um, again, it's, I try to put in as much as possible so that if if you left the show thinking like, wow, there wasn't a single thing that I liked, that I really didn't do a good job. But for the most part, people keep coming back because I, I, I give them a little taste of something that they enjoy. You're bringing your performance to the Cooperage Project on Saturday, December 17th at 7. It's the Jingle Bell Ball, B-E-L-L-E, like Bell Pepper. Uh, what can folks expect? I think folks can expect some holiday classics, but with a bunch of twists. Like we're, the holidays are a very fun, fraught, um, and wild time because of where we are at with our culture. I mean, sort of on the darker side for a lot of LGBT folks, uh, the holidays can be a time where 
they have to hide themselves or they have to sort of talk to family that might not be so supportive. But on the other hand, it's also a time for a lot of folks who have found their chosen family or who have their their biological family who are supportive. You can create your own traditions and create your own spins on things. So we're going to we're going to. We're going to give some holiday stuff, but it's not going to be what people are going to expect, but it's going to be fun regardless. Well, before we go, any thoughts on the, the holiday season and the new year you want to share? You know, it's 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 been a wild time for drag performers lately. Um, there's been a lot of... There's a lot of news and a lot of press coverage that focuses on very negative aspects of what people think about drag queens and drag performers and the LGBT community overall. And I think all I would say is, especially with the holiday season, the New Year's, uh, for people who may not have ever, they may have never seen a drag show or they don't really have any personal experience with LGBT folks, I would say like, find an opportunity to get to know someone or to go to a show or to expose yourself because I promise you, like we're just trying to have fun and we're trying to celebrate our own way of family, our own way of connecting with each other and building community. And it's really open to everybody. So just like try to get past this mess about what you think drag queens are and come check us out. I guarantee you, you're going to at least laugh a little bit and you're going to leave not hating us at all. Unless you didn't like the show. <laughs> We've been talking to John Hellman, known as Bell Pepper. We'll also be performing with local queens Ditto and Kay Gorgeous at The Cooperage Project, December 17th, Saturday at 7, with the Jingle Bell Ball. Cooperageproject.org for more information. John, Bell, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Tim Bruno and Bell Pepper. Thank you for listening. This has been the local edition. News and information keeping you connected in the Catskills Northeast Pennsylvania. We will return tomorrow. Patricio Rabayo will be your host. Uh, I wish you the best in this storm. We will keep you connected. We'll give you updates and, of course, closings and cancellations tomorrow. There's going to be a lot of them. Keep it tuned to Radio Catskill. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Radio Catskill, your NPR station for the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania.